Hello, fellow innovators. This is Patrick Emmons. And this is Shelly Nelson. Welcome to the Innovation and the Digital Enterprise Podcast, where we interview successful visionaries and leaders, giving you an insight into how they drive and support innovation within their organizations. Today, we have a guest whose name is synonymous with transformational leadership in the technology realm. We're thrilled to welcome KS. KS, do you mind pronouncing your name for me? Yeah, it's Subramanian Kunchitapathy. Thank you. Well, we're welcome KS to the show today. Currently serving as the Chief Technology Officer at Sensormatic Solutions, the leading global retail solutions portfolio of Johnson Controls. KS is at the helm of powering operational excellence at unprecedented scales. Sensormatic isn't just any enterprise. It's a juggernaut focused on enabling smart and connected shopper engagement with metrics that would make any tech leader's head spin. 125 billion items protected in the last decade and real-time tracking of 150,000 managed devices across more than 70,000 stores. Chaos is no stranger to leading at scale. With over two decades of hands-on experience, he's proven his mettle in high-tech product development, innovation, customer and partner relationships, and more. Notably, he transformed Motorola's R&D operations into a powerhouse of innovation by launching the Surjana event, making it a cornerstone of the company's culture. Today, he leads a global team of over 450 product professionals. He's the driving force behind Sensormatic Solutions' groundbreaking IoT sensors, SaaS software, AI technologies, and solutions that cater to various verticals like traffic, loss prevention, and inventory intelligence. But beyond the boardrooms and the balance sheets, what really sets KS apart is his commitment to nurturing talent and building meaningful relationships with both customers and partners. His leadership philosophy is steeped in innovation, not as a mere buzzword, but as the foundation of organizational excellence. KS is a dedicated family man who enjoys the simple pleasures of a good book and the thrill of the open road. So, To our listeners, buckle your seats, listeners, because today's episode promises to be an enlightened journey through the landscape of global technology leadership. So please join me in extending a warm welcome to KS. Welcome to the show, KS. Thank you, Patrick and uh, Shelley. I'm excited to be part of this show. Looking forward to the interaction. Right. And I know Patrick just shared a lot with our listeners, but can you also share a little bit more about your role at Sensormatic? Yeah. I'm the CTO of Sensomatic Solutions. If you are familiar with Sensomatic, Sensomatic Solutions serves digital solutions to brick and mortar retailers. And uh, we take our digital solutions in uh, four different uh, sub verticals. We focus on loss prevention, that's for protecting assets uh, in a retail store. And uh, traffic insights or shopper experience, we focus on shoppers and shoppers journey in the store and how do you help uh, retailers to achieve a better conversion inside the stores and third one is about inventory intelligence how do you track the merchandise and uh, using rfid technology how do you ensure that the right item is at the right place when the shopper is coming to purchase the item that's the third uh, business focus and the fourth one is uh, video and ai how do you leverage the video infrastructure in the store to provide better insights for retailers to make better operational decisions? Those are the four sub-verticals, and I lead the entire product portfolio in 
as uh, Patrick described, it comprises a bunch of things, IoT sensors, hardware systems, software as a service, uh, software, uh, AI technologies, and we go to market delivering an end-to-end solution rather than in looking at individual point components. So we, these things, sensors, systems, software, everything put together, integrated, and we focus on delivering the solutions and the outcomes to the retailers. Could you, just for our listeners, explain, like you mentioned, end-to-end solutions. So describe what that is. Like, who is the perfect customer? What does it look like to be end-to-end with that customer? Right. A good example uh, would be like, if you take a loss prevention uh, solution, and look at uh, a loss prevention solution, it has got a, a sensor for protecting the asset. So we produce uh, best-in-class sensors that can be attached to the item that will be used for protecting the asset. When the item gets purchased at the point of sale, the sensor has to be deactivated to say that, hey, the item has been purchased. And then when a person walks out of the door, that we have an exit system that should not allow for a purchased item. But if somebody steals the item, the exit uh, door should alarm because it was not uh, purchased at the point of sale or using in the, in the self-checkout areas. So when I talk about end-to-end solution, our ability to look at sensors, systems, so exit uh, systems capture all the shoplifting activities, and then putting a software as a service software on the top of these systems to collect insights in terms of how well these systems are working, as well as how what kind of data insights we can gather from this entire flow of uh, shopper activity to capture how well our uh, shopper associates are deactivating the systems at the POS or how many times a particular item is getting stolen at the exit. We can provide a lot more insights using the SaaS software and the entire thing from sensors, systems, exit systems, or pedestals, and the SaaS software, we bring everything together to deliver that as a loss prevention solution. Very interesting. How has the business changed over with COVID and everything that's that's happened? As I would imagine the e-commerce world has had a huge impact on your business as well. So what are some of the big market changes that have occurred pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and what do you see coming in the future? Yeah, if you really look at the industry per se, for a moment, you look at the retail industry, is the second most digitally disrupted industry after media. Mm. And there are plenty of reports you can read about it, actually, right? And it's even prior to pandemic, it was digitally disrupted. But what happened during pandemic was uh, the digitization of the retail got accelerated because people wanted to know where is the item in the supply chain? What is it they have in the store? And many are not coming into the store. Many are going through the e-commerce and then they need to fulfill e-commerce items, both in the store as well as from the DCR, right, from the point of manufacturing. So you need information, right, from the point of manufacturing to the point it gets delivered to the shopper at home or wherever the shopper decides to pick it up. In that context, if you don't have information about the item, then you will not be able to go provide the very, very good shopping experience for the retailer and provide insights to the, to the shopper. So pandemic has accelerated the digitization journey. But when I say digitization and retail, well, I would put it as digitizing the merchandise, the asset, and digitizing the process 
and digitizing the interactions between the retail associate and the shopper. Those are the three broad areas I would put. And if you digitize all these things, then you have all the information in hand to respond to the shopper and create a better shopper experience for the shoppers. And that has caused several challenges for retailers. It's not easy to digitize all these things, digitizing assets, processes, and interactions. One is uh, technologically, you need to move fast and uh, digitize these things. That's one challenge. The second challenge, I would put it as you need to do it at a much faster pace. And when you have to do it at a much faster pace, then all, all the existing processes and your associates and uh, your uh, employees are trained on the existing processes. Once you digitize, there are going to be changes. Then you need to train all your associates to be familiar with how what is the new mode of operations. And that posed a lot more challenges on the workforce of the retail, our customers. And the third challenge I would say is that there were uh, uh, not many technologies were available easily and widely for them to move faster. So those are the challenges that has uh, caught up with retail, but uh, we've come a long way as an industry. And today, if you really look at it, uh, most of the retailers are focused on how do I create, if you're you an e-commerce uh, shopper, you log in into your website and then uh, the, the e-commerce retail, uh, e retailer knows exactly what you're doing, which item you looked at, what are the items you search for, which item you purchase, which one you abandon. They get more insights about all the activities that a shopper does in an e-commerce site. Now, when it comes to brick and mortar retailer, and you need to, given that the shoppers are used to getting a better experience online, they would like to replicate the same experience in the store. Hmm. So for you to create the same experience in the store is a much harder problem. You need to know that, hey, I'm KS and uh, I looked at things online. I did not make a purchase decision. Now I walked into the store. You should know that I walked into the store. Next is, you should know that what all things I looked at and then I did not make a purchase decision. Can you influence me to make a purchase decision by showing things around those items that I look for. So that is one aspect. Like that, I can go on, right, where people would have come into the store, would have looked at things, they would not have made the purchase decision. They may go into an, the same retailer's uh, website and to make a purchase decision. So there, there are interactions that happens online, and then you do the transaction in store. Uh, there could be interactions that happens in the store, and you do the transaction online, or there's a third uh, way where there are some interactions that happens in the social media activities. You watch that and then you want to make a purchase decision then and there or you observe that and you come to the store and make a purchase decision or you observe that and go to the e-commerce site and make a purchase decision. So the world has changed so much for a retail environment today where shoppers would like to make the purchase decision anywhere and everywhere. At the same time, they'd like to replicate the experience that they got online in every other channel of retail. So that's the biggest challenge that is facing the industry today. And most of uh, the retailers are embracing the challenge and deploying technologies. And that is where companies like Sensomatic and many other technology companies come in handy to help them. That's very interesting. Yeah, that whole immersive, aware, intelligent. Uh, so 
in the years to come, right, from what is your perspective is going to be one of the, I know we've talked about like not having to check out, right, as one of those like high in the sky, like futuristic visions of retail, of being able to just walk in, grab what you want, put in a basket and then walk out. Yeah, Is that reality? Is that going to happen? I, I know Amazon's got some stores around that, but it's never really been like a huge portion of the market. The, my view on that is uh, there are certain, it depends upon the type or category of the retail where you can adopt the technology. There are certain things where you don't want to experience anything. Hey, I just want to go pick a sushi from a convenience store and I just go pick it and then walk out actually, right? Or I want to go pick up a cigar from a convenience store. I know exactly what I want. And there's, depending upon the retailer category and the item category, that technology will work uh, seamlessly where you can deploy. But there are, look at other, other, for example, apparel. Still, uh, many shoppers would prefer to go back into the store, experience, and then shop. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you look at uh, even uh, a shoes category. And during the pandemic, it's an interesting uh, statistics we see. During the pandemic, uh, number of uh, shoppers going into the store dropped significantly, brick and mortar store, and everybody was doing it uh, online shopping. And now, after the pandemic uh, got over, now the the in-store foot traffic level has reached the pre-pandemic level. Mm. So that means that people would love to come back into the store and would love to shop in the store. And it depends upon what is that they are shopping. Actually, there are certain things that they would like to experience and then go do the shopping. As I explained earlier, they may experience in the store, they may do the transaction online, or they may look it up there and then come and do the transaction store. So the way the transaction happens is could change, but the experience factor is not going to change, right? And there are few areas where people are experimenting in the industry where creating an experiential-only store, where you create a store, where you come and experience things. After that, you can place the order there in a digital kiosk in the store and then receive it at home, or you can place the order and come and pick it up uh, later in the store. They're going towards an experience-only store, but again, not many have adopted that. I would say there are some experiments that are happening. The other experiment that's happening in the industry is how do I create a dark store? Basically, you have a store which is a kind of a fulfillment-only store. There is no real store for you to go inside the store to experience. You order online and everything is stocked in the store. You just go to that store to pick it up. And those are the dark stores. There are a couple of experiments that are happening, but it will be a mixture that will happen where in-store shopping is not going to go away. And certain categories of uh, a purchase would still require a greater in-store experience and they will have a bigger in-store presence, but there are certain categories will move towards an online commerce and they will go in that direction. It's interesting as you're explaining these different environments, I think about my own personal experience buying like hockey gear where you go to the hockey store to try it on, but you can get it online cheaper, right? So you go to like make sure it fits and I feel bad because it's like, hey, I really appreciate that you have this store here. And, you know, the other one where it's, I forgot how you phrased it, but where it's just more of a delivery store, right? Yeah. Dark stores, actually. Yeah. You go in and pick it up, actually. Yeah. It just reminds me of service merchandise 
here like that we used to have. Shelly, do you remember service merchandise? Oh, yeah. I forgot about it until you said it. <laughs> right. You'd order, you show up, yeah. and then they'd come out on the little rollers. Yeah. You know, I always I always thought that was kind of cool, but that one disappeared for a while there. So yes, yeah, it sounds like for the brick and mortar, the onus is really more on the experience. Have you ever visited Apt Electronics up in Glenview here in Illinois? No. You should check it out because I think now don't get me wrong to your point. It really depends on what they're selling. Apt Electronics sells home goods, right? So yeah. refrigerators, washers, dryers, things you probably wouldn't buy off of the internet, right? Got it. Because uh, yeah. it's, it, you know, installation's important. Got it. Um, yeah. And also you want to touch and get, get a feel for the product and go to it, take a look at it and <laughs> feel for the product. Otherwise, you could don't buy. But once you know what you're buying and then you can go order that online, right? And that's how it works. Exactly. Well, and I think they've done a great job. Like when other retailers moved more to a, I'm going to compete with online and try and lower the cost. Uh, they went substantially the other direction of customer experience. They have real salespeople who will guide you and help you make the right decision because these are big purchases, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting because they one of the things that they changed is that uh, it used to be you'd work and figure out what you're going to buy, and then they'd walk you to the counter to buy. And now they've got locations where the point of sale is significantly less steps. And I, I would imagine a lot of that comes down to buyer resistance in that time frame of walking to the counter, people start thinking, do I really want this? Right. And I think that the online experience is simply getting to check out and closing the deal doesn't yeah. require going to a counter where you've got to wait in line and think about it. Yeah. That's one of the digitizations efforts. You'll really see more and more retailers are enabling self-checkouts and mobile checkouts, right. And uh, where you you'll be able to go, check it out yourself using the self-checkout. And increasingly, mobile checkout is becoming very common where you should be able to go check out using a mobile app from your phone and then check out and walk out. But those, so when they want to embrace those experiences, it also comes with uh, uh, setbacks. Now, what happens is um, you want to create a frictionless uh, store for a good shopper. We call them as green shoppers. When a genuine shopper comes in and uh, you want the shopper to have the best experience, not get stuck anywhere, go pick the product they want and they get the help they need from a, an associate. And then when they make the purchase decision, purchase it in whichever way and then walk out quickly, right? Don't create any friction. But when they create the environment like that and when there is a bad shopper, we call them a red shopper who has an intention to steal, now you don't have any protection against uh, a red shopper for that environment. So that is the biggest challenge that we face in the industry today. How do you create very high frictionless experience for a green shopper at the same time, create enough friction for a red shopper? It's not an easy problem to be solved, but that's the challenge in the industry. There are uh, many retailers who have gone overboard on self-checkout and sometimes slowed down on the self-checkout because shrink was going through the roof and then uh, figuring out, hey, how do I control the uh, shrink? And some saying that, okay, now if, if you walk into some of the stores today, right, there are retailers who are locking things up, actually, oh, where yeah. you, need to, yeah. you need to go to a associate to get things uh, opened up and take. that's an other extreme 
friction mm-hmm. you are creating the extreme friction you're going to lose a green chopper there and if you make it free for them to take it and walk out and you're going to create friction less that somebody is going to steal so that's a that's the biggest challenge in the industry today and that uh, we as a company is also looking at actively in terms of how do we address this for our retail customers well and i think that's that's a great segue into how are you planning is there what is it that you're doing obviously in such a dynamic environment how are you going to be getting all of your folks your customers your partners to embrace some of this innovation yeah so we have a philosophy in the company where we do not want to go innovate for the sake of innovation and the thing is uh, we focus on hey how do we understand the biggest challenges or how do we understand the biggest pain points of the customer and then once we understand how do you go about innovation so in the last one year we rolled out a new methodology and we partnered with a, a company called aim institute and they've got a new way of capturing voice of customer inputs they call it as npa blueprinter and npa blueprinting exercise and uh, this methodology is very very interesting methodology where we go in front of uh, customers and we set the expectation with the customer saying that it is not a sales call we are not here to sell technology or we are not here to sell a solution we purely want to understand what are your big pain points in a specific targeted area so if you just say that hey orc is high for a particular retail uh, customer so we would like to talk about orc so we'd like to understand what are the bigger pain points for uh, orc so we just listen to this customer and understand all their pain points a free flow conversation and we facilitate we don't talk much we allow the customers to air all their pain points and we have got a tool very nicely we capture their inputs into the tool the next we do that with uh, uh, 6 to 10 customers on the same topic we do a discovery interview understand uh, all the wide varying inputs that are coming from diverse set of customers after that we go back to the same set of customers and we do a preference interview the discovery interview is to understand all the pain points and all the challenges the customer has in that particular area the preference interview is we ask those customers who gave those inputs to score the areas of the pain points in terms of satisfaction as well as the importance so you take a particular pain point and the customer will score saying that hey it is very highly important because when they dole out hundreds of pain points not everything is of the same important uh, level so they have to score it in the ranking order of important is it uh, how important it is this particular pain point is next is how satisfied are you with the current set of solution that you got so and then the tool helps you to map that out and find out the areas where the importance is very high and the satisfaction is very low that means those are the areas are up for disruption now we pick those areas and then go put our teams to come up with innovative ideas around how to solve those pain points and we started this process every customer that we have talked to so far they truly appreciate the way we are approaching this problem and we are just taking those 
areas and prioritized areas now we are going and putting those ideas to the team and we are asking them to brainstorm uh, innovate and come up with that so again for innovation we have again very structured methods of doing the innovation we have a uh, directed innovation sessions where we get a bunch of uh, engineers and uh, product managers and uh, sales or business development there is no restriction we get a cross functional team to sit together and we throw that problem area that we got as a prioritized problem area now we allow the team to brainstorm around hey how do you solve this problem in the most effective way create a lot of bunch of ideas and then once you have those ideas and then figure out how do we create generate ip we focus heavily on patenting things so that uh, whatever ideas that we come up with are well protected so we generate a bunch of patents around those areas and pick the ones that allow the best commercial success and then go build them and then roll it out as a product we started this process uh, about a year back and uh, we got well entrenched into this process and we are at a stage where we are going to initiate a bunch of uh, new products uh, ideas through our new product introduction process and that's what we're working on well let me ask uh, cuz i think it's uh, it, so the process engaging with the clients one uh, show and i were talking about this earlier today how much it's important to understand I use the term love. You got to love your customer, right? You got to create like a mindset there of like, hey, this is who we serve. I think it's critical. I think also getting your customers to be part of your innovation or your design team is probably the least tapped into behavior. Everybody thinks they've got to come up with it at home. And But I'm curious, at the stage you're at where you're, you've got some products and you're ready to start you maybe did some design sprints, got some folks to like put some ideas together. What is the most important lesson you learned? What was the thing that so far you would have not expected to have happened, good or bad, right? Whether it's something you wish you had done sooner or maybe something uh, you tried to avoid. Yeah, two things I would say. One is uh, as part of this innovation session, so prior to following this approach of uh, how do you identify the best problem to go innovate on we used to listen to the customers we always always listen to the customers and understand which are the problems you have to solve but we did not focus in how do you talk to multiple customers take it in a more structured way and uh, getting to the prioritized idea that we were not following that but we did talk to customers anything and everything we have done is talking to customers and going and building and based on that we had a, a bunch of uh, new product introductions that we had planned we wanted to think that we had to build it as part of the roadmap we had those products in the roadmap and when we did this uh, session we quickly discovered that whatever we thought that is the most important problem based on one customer feedback when we talked to multiple customers we realized that hey that problem is no longer that important actually and they are not bothered about that problem like that we a couple of areas where we discovered saying that hey we need to remove these items that we had in our roadmap because they no longer make sense because this is a real very focused customer feedback from multiple customers who are a very good representative sample of our business so that's one big learning and the other uh, challenge uh, in terms of once you know that hey this is an area of innovation that you need to work on and uh, we we have some work to do in this area where we work with a very anchor customer on a particular area and we develop the best in class product in the industry 
okay and uh, if you look at that product and uh, look at the next uh, immediate next what is coming from the competition ours was a superior product and we are hugely successful on this product and they are deploying it chain wide and uh, on that product when we were focusing on that we were trying to get the best technology and uh, get the best performing product and we were not heavily focused on hey, how do i get a cost of the product to be at a level where i can take it to a global scale where any customer and every customer will buy that so now it's a big luck i would say at that time we are under time pressure to go say that hey solve this damn problem in the best possible way don't worry about uh, which technology we even collaborated with the partner and brought in a technology from the partner and absorbed all the costs and solved the problem and solving the problem was number one focus we always believe that you can take cost out now because that is hugely successful now we don't have enough time window to work on cost out and get to the ga this is one area where i would have uh, if i had to learn uh, as a learning if i had to take while we built that and when we were deploying that i should have started another project in parallel or midway through the project to take the cost out so that we can be hugely successful with that model globally it's a learning but we were moving at a great speed and to solving the problem <laughs> at any cost and then we are circling back going to the drawing board and building the next generation product at a more cost efficient level but still solve the problem as efficient as the previous one so chaos i'm just curious a lot of people that patrick and i talk to talent is a big issue especially in the tech space so curious if you're seeing any challenges there or what you're doing maybe differently than others no we are in the industry and the tech industry faces this challenge we are no exception to that uh, but how we approach this is little different and i personally believe that uh, if you create environment for people to learn new things and uh, people will stick around and uh, that has helped us in a big way where if you really look at the technologies that we have embraced and adopted are all uh, leading edge technologies five years back we got into a strategic partnership with google for google cloud and when we partnered not uh, many retail specific uh, customers are uh, not not our customers retail specific technology companies were on google and we were the, one of the first few companies uh, who partnered with them in the retail domain there are many other clients in other industries and uh, that partnership enabled a lot of new learnings for our employees and engineers and uh, they gave the huge learning opportunity and that is a big motivation for software engineers to stick around learn and then uh, work in the company and it also enabled us to attract the best talent as well right like that in every area if you take uh, i can keep talking about every one of the areas we always picked the best in class technology and created a much better learning environment for our employees so that that acts as a big motivation for them in addition to all the other rewards and other benefits a, a company will work on this is a major motivation factor where the second part is uh, i'm big on mvps uh, building quick innovative solutions based on voice of the customer and you create uh, an, a very conducive environment for people to experiment and uh, allow them to fail even if they fail that's fine but uh, when they create something cool and take it to trade shows 
and uh, we have always taken our people to build some new MVPs based on uh, uh, VOC. When they come up with a cooler idea, we ensure that those are patent protected and then allow those engineers who created those MVPs to be in front of the customers and present it in trade show. That goes a long way. And that kind of, in, it's an infectious culture. The now one year you take a few engineers, like three or four engineers take their ideas and present. They're going to come back and then say, hey, that message is going to flow into the rest of the organization. Everybody else gets motivated to come up with newer ideas subsequently, and then they get the opportunity to go present. That's how we build that. I would say innovation, our focus on patent, and we have uh, every year we celebrate patent awards and we recognize all the engineers who are coming up with cooler ideas and uh, patenting. We have a big ceremony for our engineers who are coming up with the patent, celebrating their successes, not penalizing them for any of the mistakes they have done as part of MVP development and giving them a forum to present their MVPs in front of the customers and senior leadership uh, goes a long way in addition to giving them a big technology platform, learning platform in terms of technology. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. And I know we both worked at Motorola and they were, I mean, I don't know if there's an organization that was able to create more patents than that organization in the last, and it doesn't, it seems to be a bit of a lost art for many, many tech companies. It's not something that they focus on as much as I think they should. Yeah. I agree. Well, Chaos, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your perspective on, on the retail space and, and all the cool stuff that you're doing. Congratulations on all your success. Thank you. Really enjoyed having you on the show here today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Shelley. Nice to be part of your show. Thank you. We also want to thank our listeners. We really appreciate everyone taking the time to join us. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, you can subscribe by visiting our website at dragonspears.com slash podcast, or find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was sponsored by Dragon Spears and produced by Dante32.